0: This is, this is Ned and having a meeting with uh, Grandmaster Paisel, and yeah, Shall <laughs> so we make the joke. This is just what happened in one night, Dave. Yeah. A droning, a tavern riot, three Ooh. knife fights, a raid, two fires, robberies beyond count, and a drunken horse
1: race down the street of <laughs> sisters. <assistance. laughs> Pretty much from now is pedal to the metal. Hello and welcome
0: to part four of Shark Liver Royals' coverage of a Game of Thrones by George R. R. Martin. Now, listen. I'm Matt.
1: <laughs> I'm Dave. Hello.
0: <laughs> this is the third attempt we've had to start the podcast, <laughs> and we are we are going to carry on regardless. Now, because yes, I'm not starting are. again. The hell so with is, that. Yeah, this is the fourth. Um, this is obviously the fourth episode we're doing. It follows roughly um, the fourth episode if, you, if you've if you ever watched the series of the Game of Thrones, but we're looking specifically at the book. So this, this episode is called the Cripples, Bastards and Broken Things. And when we last stopped reading, uh, we just got up to a chapter about Bran. So that seems like the right place to start, Dave. What do you reckon?
1: Uh, given that otherwise we would either be retracing our steps or missing out some material, I'd say it's the perfect place to start, yes. Let's do it then. So
0: it it starts with Bran is in bed, recovering from his, um, obviously, his coma, which he's been in for ages. And um, he's chatting with Old Nan, who's uh, the sort of the castle's elderly woman. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's really
1: (laughs) the resident... The resident old lady. This is a world well, where is. women are so scarce that there's one old lady per yeah. major military institution.
0: So, yeah, so she takes on um, resident old lady duties. Like she tells stories um, from her youth. She knits. It seems for a long period of time. She she's also the midwife. So she's birthed most of the uh, most of the kids, uh,
1: most of the lord's children. And, and she and, also um, she also is the resident shitter up of, of, of childhood dreams.
0: Yeah, you know, like yeah. the number
1: of times throughout the book that the Stark kids come in and, and they're talking about something and they're frightened, and it turns out that the root of their fear is a story that they were once told by an Old man. <laughs> 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 They'd all be phenomenally well adjusted if it wasn't for this woman going around going, "Oh, if you're not careful, the Grumpkins will get you." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's very much her role in um, in the
0: castle, but. Um... The the interesting thing here is she she is quite good in this chapter as giving us a bit of a, a, a again a history lesson or an ancient history lesson almost about the last time the White Walkers came south. It was a massive long winter, freezing cold, and on top of all that, you have these big blue monsters wandering around, murdering people left, right, and centre. Yeah, doesn't sound like a lot of fun.
1: Doesn't sound like a lot of fun, and it's one of these. It's another one of these little bits where. George Martin has has the balls to just sort of drip feed the real terror of this world into it instead of you know so I mean so we've said this several times is he starts off with this White Walker thing and you think it's going to be a fantasy zombie movie zombie book Mm. and then it all goes away and you know and then it's political intrigue and and you know Ned Stark this and King Robert that and um and then this is just one of those moments where he kind of goes in case you were wondering. The real story is about these fucking terrifying beasts. Anyway, yeah. back to the fiction. <laughs> yeah. It's
0: just it's just those little little dashes of it which keep appearing again and again, just little reminders, aren't they, of this yeah. sort of uh, this this terror that's just under the surface at the moment. And um, yeah, it's it's it always always helps to move the plot along a bit as well, doesn't it?
1: Can you imagine having the stones to write a story where like the real story wasn't really going to get fleshed out? We're always going to be fleshed out over the course of seven whole books.
0: Yeah. Um, now, the the whole sort of th- this discussion here goes on for a while. Eventually we get to the point where Gran's called to the hall um, to receive a guest. And it's the arrival of Tyrion. So uh, Rob, who's obviously... Uh, actually, just, just quicker, there's an interesting uh, little... Part about Rob, how he's kind of again, we've spoken about this before, but he's he's almost two people now, Rob, because on the one hand he's trying to be the Lord of Winterfell, in yeah. um, you know, it, it, because Ned's d- uh, headed off south, um, but at the same time he's still effectively you know barely a, more than a boy. He's a, and and you keep seeing him slip back to a couple of sort of yeah. more immature things, but it, he's trying very hard to to be this sort of leader that he's supposed to be now. And yeah. T- Tyrion arrives T- Tyrion arrives at the uh at Winterfell and obviously this is a pretty uncomfortable meeting because as we know Rob um now believes that Tyrion was responsible for what happened to Bran. Yeah.
1: It's uh can I make an arrested development reference? Yeah, go on. He's a chill, <laughs> Moment. Yeah. Yeah, and it, so there's you this. Just, this you know, very... Tyrion walks in and Rob's there just like Oh, it's you. Yeah. We should talk. <laughs> so there's this very frosty um
0: reception for Tyrion. Tyrion seems relatively surprised about this, or at least gives that impression. Mm. And um and he actually reaches out I suppose to Bran, um where he he brings this these plans in to allow him to ride a horse, even though he's lost the use of his legs, Bran now. It's basically yeah. this, this special saddle which Tyrion has used in the past because, obviously, as a dwarf, he he doesn't have the, 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 the his legs aren't long enough to actually ride a horse properly. But he's got yeah. this contraption and he thinks it might work for Bran as well. Yeah. And uh, this this brings us to the you know uh, the, the title of this episode as well, or the title of our episode, um, where he says when he, when when he's asked why you know why would you do this for Bran, he says I have a tender spot in my heart for cripples, bastards, and broken things.
1: Yeah, and you've seen it as well, haven't you? With the kind of the when he's been up on the wall, the conversations he's had with Jon Snow up there, where there's mm. this—you know—they end up shaking hands and, and addressing each other as friend, and—and yeah. um, and there's no good reason for that to be so. Like there's clearly no love lost between the Starks and the Lannisters, yeah. but um, but Tyrion seems to have this thing where, like, as much as he's loyal to his family, he's not. He's not averse to making friends wherever they, wherever they are to be found. Hmm. Um, like, he's, he's, he's got this. He's one of the reasons. I, I, Tyrion's one of my favourite characters because he's got this really unusual kind of moral place. Like, he's not a goodie and he's not a baddie. He's, he's a proper yeah. complex character who's got all yeah. sorts of flaws and might do things that are quite bad, but at the same time has a very strong moral core where he's like, no, I, you know, I, I feel for this kid. He's broken his back. You know, he's not yeah. going to walk again. How can I help? Although it seems that he was responsible for that in the first place, it does seem that way. So, <laughs> so, so, so it's like, but, but, um, but I mean, this throws it into into question, doesn't it? Because you can, yeah. you know, uh, did he, did he do it? You know, there's been some talk in um, back in uh, in King's Landing about whether somebody else won that won that dagger and um, yeah. and the, you know, he uh, was in a bet and yeah. and this kind of. Like, if there's enough, anyway... This is what I'm talking about. There's enough to make it really ambiguous. He acts in this yeah. apparently very compassionate way, but he might have been responsible for the murder in the first place, or maybe he was, or maybe he wasn't.
0: Um, yeah. And nothing's <laughs> well, certain
1: except the character's really, really interesting, and I love that.
0: Yeah. And the thing is, I, I was thinking two things here when, when I first read it, was on the one hand, yeah, he, he, he's reaching out, and, and from the point of view chapters as well, you think he's not that bad a guy, but then you also think, well, you've seen how... How much of a canny political operator he is. So if he was responsible for this, this is just the kind of move he'd make to to distance himself from it. So so Rob will think, oh well, you know, it couldn't have been him. Uh, does, does, doesn't doesn't quite fit here, yeah. yeah. So so he's he's doing if he has done it, he's making quite a good job here of remo- pushing himself away from the uh, I don't know the the area of suspicion, I suppose.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I, know I, 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 this just sets it up beautifully, doesn't it? Because this this is a great scene, crackles with tension, and it's one where the whole time you're reading it, going, I don't know who I'm supposed to be rooting for here. No, and there's another element to that. There's the
0: wolves who practically, who almost kill him in this. The the wolves come into the the hall, and um, until until they're actually called off, you think they might actually do for him because they're very oh, yeah. aggressive and and they, they, and you often um, throughout the books actually um, without wanting to spoil anything. The wolves often seem as um, seem able to detect threats, um, especially when the uh, when the humans don't maybe don't see something. Oh, that's and, interesting. And, and, yeah, and that made me. And I think when I first read this, I thought that's probably another mark in the maybe Tyrion is responsible box because you know whenever you have animals like this in most fantasy books or things like this. They they often see things that the other characters don't. Yeah, so you're wondering, yeah. yeah, is is
1: is he you know not all he seems? Yeah, I was going to say that actually. The thing I was thinking of was, um, you know the uh, the His Dark Materials trilogy by Philip Ballman. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, so you've got these, uh, you know, every character in in the magical world has their is called a demon, like their little little kind of animal reflection thing that follows them around and and yeah. shows what they're really thinking or feeling. Um. And um, and this is these walls are kind of that, but opposite because they're showing what's really going on, not in the character but in the world. You know, mm. they're kind of responding to the world as the character should be or would mm. be better off if they did, sort of thing. And it's just an interesting. I like that much better to be honest, because you know I don't. I you know like I, there were all sorts of things that were good about *His Dark Materials*, but I thought the, the um, you know having having an animal to put somebody's subconscious on the on the page is a little bit. Just put it in the yeah. dialogue. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas this yeah. this allows you to have just it's all narrative, it's all tension, it's all juice, and it's all great. Like I love it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, let's let's move on to uh, to Edard the next chapter. Right. On. And um, this is this is Ned and uh, having a meeting with uh, Grandmaster Pycel.
1: And yeah, <laughs> so we make the joke every time I hear Grandmaster <laughs> Pycel's name in my head, I hear. <laughs>
0: yeah so I suppose to make the joke because we always do it when he's mentioned Grandmaster Pycelle who is not a famous DJ he is in fact probably one of the sort of foremost academics in West
1: Ross isn't he? It um, is but it's worth saying that we only really see him when he's at work. So who knows what he gets up to in the evening. Like yeah, he might be a beast on the decks he uh, might behind closed be doors. Beast, a beast
0: on the <laughs> decks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling him that. The beast of the decks grandmaster Pycelle. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but I mean I mean seriously what were your fir-
1: what were your first impressions of of this guy? Well, he's kind of he suffers from being kind of lumped in with everybody else on the small council. Hmm. So, you know, I kind of instantly don't trust him because I'm very bought into Edard, who's very, yeah. very uncomfortable with all of, the, all of the political back and forth and nonsense in, yeah. um, in the small council. And Grandmaster Pycelle clearly, hasn't, clearly has not been a part of the way power works in King's Landing for a very, very long time. So yeah. it's, it's a bit like, you know, you're kind of wondering... You know like he, he he starts off as a character that you don't really trust, but on the other hand, you know he's kind of it, it's clear that the other characters give him all the respect that they would give to any other meister, and they yeah. are these kind of people who are supposed to be one step removed from the politics and all about serving serving mm. the kind of ongoing good of the kingdom or their their particular city as a whole, so yeah. he has a benign job but seems seems to associate with malign individuals. So you're a yeah. bit like, you don't really, I certainly, I didn't know which way to jump. I was definitely suspicious. Yeah. yeah.
0: How about you? And, and well, well I, th- I think I'm very, very similar. And I think it's because you have this suspicion because Ned is obviously suspicious. At the end of this conversation, um uh, Paisel says, I'm, I'm here to, remember, I'm here to serve. And Ned sort of walks away thinking, yeah, but who are you serving? And, um, uh, and I think that that's that's all sort of wrapped up in this, isn't it? Yes, yes and, it is. And I, I mean, th- this is a, it's it's pretty much an interrogation, isn't it? Ned is is they're talking about the death of John Arryn, who was the the old hand of the king. Mm. Ned's trying to find out if there was any foul play, which he obviously strongly suspects now. And you could even get the feeling that Ned's suspicious of Pycelle's involvement because he he makes mention to the fact that when Pycelle was trying to save. Um, when he was re- when John Aaron was really ill and Py- Pycelle's you know, trying to save him, he sent away um, the other master who was sort of John Aaron's personal physician, effectively. Yeah. And he, he he sent him away, and and Ned's obviously a little bit suspicious of that. He's like, so so you made sure that you were the only person responsible
1: for his for his care, and then he died. it Doesn't <laughs> look very good, does it? That's true, and that's a uh, and that is that is full on. Cluedo character, suspicious activity, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) It's like Grandmaster Pycelle, who for some reason dismissed the other medical professionals in the room shortly before John Aaron died of poisoning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you get you get this sense of of Ned Ned is quite
0: blunt with things like this as well with accusations because that's a thinly veiled accusation directly at Pycelle. He also describes poison as a woman's weapon, which is obviously again a very thinly veiled accusation directed towards the queen. Um yeah. so he's he's sort of feeling things out and but at the same time, you know, not in the most um I don't know it, it, in in the most sensitive or the most careful way that he, maybe he could. Yeah. Um. But he ends up coming away with this book, which is uh, it sounds extremely boring. Um, I mean, to be honest, this might have been what finished off John Arryn just reading it. But it was a book on lineage. Um. So all the uh, like the fathers and fathers and fathers and fathers of all the great houses in Westeros. Mm. And for some reason, John Arryn was uh, was particularly interested in that. Hmm. Um, there's a couple of other bits in this chapter as Ned, Ned heads back he bumps into Arya who's, uh, who's practicing standing on one leg which is great because that's what her dancing masters told her to do
1: it is a brilliant scene isn't it she's learning, to, she's learning how to use a sword and the upshot of this is that she's to be seen around the palace standing on one leg and if you approach her and ask what she's doing, she just goes, my dancing master told me to, go away. <laughs> yeah. At that point, <laughs> if you weren't really tuned in to what was going on in her life, you would assume there was something a bit wrong, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um, and then there's this there's this meeting with Littlefinger again as well. Oh, who, Littlefinger. Uh, this, th- th- oh, this will you two, ever be denied. <laughs> this serves two purposes. One, to move the plot forward slightly, because he, he suggests that Ned seeks out this guy called Sir Hugh, who up until very recently, was John Aaron's squire, so he was very close to John Aaron, yeah. and he got promoted immediately after Aaron's death. Um, so there's that, and there's no also suspicious
1: just suspicious occurrence that exactly, yeah, he was very close to him and was he was promoted shortly after <laughs> his death. Yeah,
0: and there's also um, this. It just serves again to show just how. Um, insidious this place is, I suppose, that mm. when they're speaking, Littlefinger's thing is pointing out these various people in the yard and nearby who are all spies for one person or another. And he also, he also warns, um, or in a sort of a laughing at him kind of way, warns Ned not to trust anyone. He says, is there anybody you trust entirely in your household? Ned says yes, and he says the correct answer to that question is no.
1: And then he also
0: says he also pretty much says you shouldn't trust me either um, yeah and and just says you know take that as you will, which is, again is sort of it just for 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 Ned for a guy who is obviously predisposed to well he's used to people generally telling the truth, it yeah. must be just a massive head fuck for him
1: it must be yeah because and they all tell the truth because I mean because he's in respect and so on but also because they're scared of him. Because he yeah. is he is the baddest assist in the whole of the north, which is the baddest assist part of a fairly dysfunctional kingdom, yeah. and and here he is in a place full of people who aren't scared of him and yeah. who don't respect him. Um, but <laughs> I wonder whether this bit is, is is sort of is is as close as a slug like little finger can come to to giving like avuncular advice, sort of sitting yeah. down and being like, "Listen, you can't trust anyone, including me." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like and that's this is this head fuck is as close as Littlefinger's ever gonna get to being like let me help you out <laughs>
0: yeah yeah but it's it's that classic um there are two ways people do it one is um, sitting people down and going oh look let me I wanna help you genuinely and the other is you don't really know what you're doing here and um oh you don't understand the rules and they're just absolutely lording it over them and just it, yeah. it's just to it's just to make him feel better as much as anything else Littlefinger yeah, I think actually, with this that's, isn't, that's isn't it yeah yeah um okay um well, let's go from ned the baddest assis to uh the arrival of a character who i don't think we're ever going to say um reaches those heights and it's uh it's a character called sam so we got we got to, it's a john perspective <laughs> chapter and um a new a new recruit arrives in the yard this poor bastard called sam yeah who, um he, he's actually uh a, some highborn um actual mini lordling if you like, cause he. Uh, He's the son of a very prominent figure down in the south, um, called Randall Tarley, I think. And he's he's his eldest son. And he's been sent up to the wall. We find out why a bit later on. And it's clear that Sam isn't much of a fighter. He's in he's very fat and he is he's brought his own armour along, so he's obviously a guy of wealth, but he's just he's just getting kicked around the yard. And um, barely putting up a fight. There is an interesting difference to the uh, to the series in the TV series. He kind of he arrives in the yard and he gets sort of just tapped on the pretty much tapped on the arm by a sword and he just falls over and that's it. And he just and it just shows like, how like, pathetic don't, he is. Don't hurt me, don't hurt me. Yeah. In yeah. in the book, he he does try and fight and he just he just gets battered and he ends up a bloody mess. So yeah. he it, so it is quite. I think in the book you really get more of a feeling of just what a tough place the wall is because when we saw it through John's eyes, obviously he can handle himself. Yeah. But if you if you're any way weak like Sam is, it's a very very hard place. Despite it being yeah. this meritocracy.
1: Yeah, and it, yeah, in the um in the TV series though, you've already shown people having the shit kicked out of them at the wall, and yeah. the character of Sam is different than characters like Pip and other people that John's sort of trying to help out. Where yeah. Um, they've all had the shit kicked out of them Sam is supposed to be different and he needs to start at this totally pathetic place so I understand why they filmed it yeah. that way but you're right, yeah. in the book you don't really need to do that because you are going to have more time to develop the characters that means you've got this this scene you have the space to actually use it to establish the fact that the wall is just a fucking horrible place it's like, yeah. it's like Borstal without the, the, the same carefree <laughs> sense of fun <laughs> Borstal Send him to postal. That, that's exactly what I'm drawing on there. 1950s correctional <laughs> institution for wayward young boys.
0: Yeah. Um, so it, this moves into it effectively becomes a, a a conflict between John and Sir Alister, the trainer. Oh, you've been because, waiting for it, haven't you? Isn't yeah. he great? <laughs> yeah. So uh, Sir Alister uh, ends up sending a couple of, of of other guys against John because John's sticking up for Sam. And in the end, John beats all of them, and Sir Alistair, S- 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 Alistair sort of wanders off in a bit of a huff.
1: Sir Alistair, I mean, in the TV series, I found him quite an intimidating presence, but in the book, he's he's what you said last time. He's so clearly just a pathetic bully that yeah. that he's he's just like I could just I just have this wonderful image of John like you know being pitched into this totally unjust you know manifestly abusive scenario where he's just throwing everything he's got at this kid he's supposed to be training you know sir alistair's just throwing yeah. everything he's got at john and um and john just spanks them all and then i've just got this wonderful image of him looking up at the balcony where sir alice is and just going say what <laughs> <laughs> just a sort of slight <laughs> incline of the head and the uh, anything else was there no i think i'll go and have a bit of food I see him doing that. Do you
0: know um, Morpheus in the Matrix? Yeah. They're doing, the, they're doing that karate thing and he does that little like come to me gesture. Yeah, example. yeah.
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> That's exactly what it is, isn't it?
1: Come yeah. on. Come on.
0: <laughs> there's a there's a good bit um where I suppose it helps illustrate how Sam is a bit different. How he, he actually when they're talking afterwards and asking why he didn't put in much of a fight, and he Sam actually calls himself a coward. Mm. And everyone's really shocked at that because even if you are quite um cowardly in this world you never actually admit it and um and he's his his sort of self esteem is so low yeah but he calls himself pretty much one of the worst things you can call yourself in this in this kind of environment is a coward isn't it craven is um traditionally in like in, in medieval uh europe was one of the worst things you could possibly call somebody, yeah. and it was what people fought and died over being you know, those oh, kind dang. of slights
1: yeah yeah um, yeah and and, and and that just all serves to make um, Santali a very interesting character because I was I must confess when I first came across this character I was a bit like because I hadn't I hadn't really clocked at that point where, in the TV series like how well it was written and so I thought it's just another excuse to have somebody just chat on from a great height because like, I think yeah. we've seen quite a lot of that in this world already um, yeah. Whereas, you know, it, it is always to a purpose, and yeah. um, and the purpose here is to introduce this really interesting character who is kind of kind of presents you with your own complicity in the way this world works. Because I think there's a bit of everybody that starts to chime after a while with this kind of medieval system of honor and strength and power and all of this kind of yeah. thing. and actually, you know. He doesn't. I don't think George Martin really wants you to admire such a system. It's just that it's necessary. Yeah. And it has its honours and its, its disgraces and so on. But I think yeah. he wants. He wants. He kind of wants. Always wants you to criticise it a bit in the back of your head. Always question it a bit. And the way you do that mm. is by bringing this character who's so useless in comparison. You know, under this system. But he's also, you know, he's he's not just one dimensionally shit. And it's yeah. quite interesting as well.
0: Well, I think Sam, it, I suppose in a, in a similar way, bizarrely to Arya, is a good example of what happens to people in this very rigid system who don't fit it. Because he's, oh. he, he tells this story about how, well, basically the reason he's at the wall is that his dad, who's this very prominent warrior lord down in the south, Um, when Sam... Uh, Sam's character is—he's he, not a fighter. He—he's he, not very good at that. And but but he, you know, he, he likes books and singing, and you know, he's—he's he's more of an academic. Yeah. And his dad's reaction is just sort of, kind of revulsion and horror at this kind of I, <laughs> <you're>, <laughs> uh, what is produced. Yeah, <laughs> and and his solution, because his uh, Sam's younger brother is is more in the is is more in his dad's mould. Yeah, his solution is to say, look, we're going for a hunting trip next week and um, you either you know basically says look you either go to the say you want to go to the wall and take the black or we're going on a hunting trip next week and you're going to meet a sorry end and uh, I'll tell your mum that you fell off your horse Jeez. so i mean that so that's that's what happens if you don't fit the mold and even though yeah. sam is in an, ex, an extremely privileged position as far as his birthright yeah if you don't if you don't fit have the right attributes for this system then you're just like any any other sort of lower-born, I suppose, um, off, yeah. member of society. So it's it's the kind of system that is kind of attractive to a very small group of a very elite um, area of the population. But beyond that, most people
1: seem to be treated pretty foully, regardless yeah. of background. Sometimes, absolutely, and that's that's why I think Sam's such an important character because otherwise. We, you know, I think we've all in our in our cultural history, certainly in the UK, we've got all of this pomp and pageantry and knights being heroes and you know impressive mm. men in chainmail on horses. You know, a strong history of drawing on that, and if we're not careful, we just kind of go, "Oh, I suppose you know it was all right, you know, knights and all of that." And no, it was monstrous. You know, these are people who kind of who, who raised their wealth by threatening to kill anybody who didn't work for them. And mm. who spent years at a time off fighting other people that you know really had no, no threat at all to the people they were supposed to be looking after. And yeah. uh, and so on and so on. And and I think George Martin's very canny in that he's realised you can write a great story about that kind of a world. But He doesn't want to sort of imply that um, that, that it's sort of a desirable system. So he has something as, as monstrous as this, as, as Sam's dad, um, doing that sort of thing. I wonder if we're going to meet Sam's dad later on. I'd be very very interested in that because this this guy who's only yeah. presence so far in the story is as a tope like a like a, a literally an infanticidal maniac and yeah. and I and, and in any other place that would just be oh one dimensional bad guy but I wonder if we're going to come across him again if he's going to become important at some point
0: yeah well I I I think it it, it isn't a spoiler to say um he is um down in the no uh, it's not not a spoiler at all he's a uh, he is one of the bannermen of Tywin Lannister, so he's a Lannister bannerman,
1: Oh, right. And,
0: and, he's, and he's a very, very successful Lannister bannerman as well. Right. And, and he's very ruthless, but he's one of the key members of, of the sort of Lannister household. If, well, not household, but, you know, wider yeah. Um, yeah, power base. group. Yeah, power yeah Yeah. But yeah, Ooh, we'll see more of him in the future. Cool. I look forward to it. <laughs> yeah um okay let let's move on to the uh, we're back with Ned now uh, oh no there's one more thing I want to say about John is just the fact that we get from this chapter a sense this is what cha- this is what the book does much better than what the much better than what the series can of John settling in now as well we get we spend a bit of time with him doing his sort of day to day jobs and towards the end the they're chatting and they're talking about how they're How he feels as if these other lads around him now are brothers Mm. rather than just colleagues or friends. And you just get that sense of that um, tight bond that really does form up at the wall between the the members of the Night's Watch, despite all the hardships, or maybe because of all those hardships.
1: Yeah, and despite all of the differences between them. You know, you've got various off casts from the upper class, but then, you know, the, the vast majority of the people at the wall are these kind of criminals, basically. Um, yeah. who don't know what they're doing and don't know how to handle themselves and aren't terribly trustworthy. And yet yeah. here's John kind of... I really I really love the kind of ironic ironic twist this gives to the whole Lord Snow name for the last mm. episode and it's given to him by Sir Alistair as an insult and that. But actually, you know, he finds here a group of people in which he can be the natural leader he's always been good at being. Yeah. But, you know, free from... Always being that bastard, John Snow. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 It's, yeah the, the wall stuff. Um, great mm. juice in it. Yeah.
0: Now um, back down in King's Landing with Ned, and we get this report from the poor guy who's the uh, head of the city watch, or the effectively the police, or the militia, militia, which take care of the policing, I suppose, in the uh, in the city. Mm. Talking about obviously this festival's being put, this event's being put on um, for the, the tournament for the Hand of the King, mm. and. Um, and he's saying about some of the issues they're having around it um, with security because all these rowdy knights and uh, all the sort of people around them have arrived in the city, it's packed, and it's getting a bit out of control. Um, <laughs> it's described as, this is just what happened in one night, Dave. A droning, a tavern riot, three knife fights, a rape, two fires, robberies beyond count, and a drunken horse race down the street of sisters. <laughs> So I mean, this is not a good
1: time to be the head of the city watch. It's the drunken horse race that gets me every time. Like a re- like a litany of horrible, horrible crimes, and then I do you know what? I'm gonna fucking race you. Yeah, you know I'm gonna fucking race you, but I can't walk. I tell you what, this is race on the horses. Alright <laughs> Do you think
0: do you think the horses were drunk as well? Because that would be amazing. Yeah,
1: that's it that's, that's superb drunken logic, isn't it? That's just and then it's like, well listen, you're pissed and I'm pissed. But what if your horse is sober and mine's pissed? Give him some brandy, otherwise it's not fair. Oh, you're very right, very good, very right. Okay, now the horse is pissed, I'm pissed, you're pissed, yours is pissed. Let's go. (laughs) The next morning, I
0: don't know where it went wrong.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's it as well, isn't it? Oh, I've got a headache and I remember giving brandy to a horse. I don't think I want to know much more than that, to be honest.
0: Yeah, so I mean that's 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 the bad side of this tournament. and Obviously, it's a very expensive thing to put on as well. Littlefinger gives the counter argument because he's the master. We don't think we mentioned he's his actual position on the council is the master of coin, mm. so he's in charge of the treasury. Um, and Moody. so yeah, unsurprising. So, so he um, and he's saying, look, this is actually pretty good for us as well, though, because you know the. Brothels are parked and the pubs are parked, and you know, it's it's almost a classic economic argument over putting a big festival on, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, it brings a lot of problems, but also brings a lot of money in as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, so
0: uh, business is booming, is the good side, I suppose. Um, Ned's obviously. Just it's a, it's a massive sideshow as far as Ned's concerned. He doesn't really want any part of it, but he's having to go along with it anyway. We mm. get a feel for just how miserable Ned is because as he's trudging around um, in this chapter, there's a bit of sort of inner monologue where he's thinking about how much he'd rather he'd prefer to be back up north with uh, people he actually. Understands and yeah, uh, yeah. you know with, with his son in the practicing in the yard and things like that. Yeah. But um, it's, you know, alas, he's, he's stuck down there for the time being. And um, he, as we we get a bit of the plot moves forward with this investigation around John Arryn's death, mm. it turns out that we hear a bit more about Stannis, who's who's the the middle brother between uh, obviously the king uh, Robert and Renly, the youngest brother. Stannis is the middle guy who he's he's took himself off to Somewhere, I'm um, just called Dragonstone, and he's sort of looking after himself now. Yeah, and before John Aaron's death, apparently Stannis, who's this notoriously, um, sort of down the line guy and a pretty like prudish as well kind yeah. of bloke, yeah, um, he spent a lot of time with John Arryn visiting brothels. And <laughs> and, it, and Ned's thinking that just something massively doesn't add up though, because Stannis isn't the kind of guy who goes to brothels, neither is John Arryn. And, and what was Stan, why was Stannis knocking about with him in the first place? They were never particularly close. So again, it's this sort of questions on questions, really, isn't it?
1: Yeah, there's something something rum is afoot.
0: Yeah. As as Ned decides to to visit this armourer, which has been um, his, uh, he, the trails led him to this 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 armourer's place. As he makes his way through the streets. Um, a, a lord another sort of dashing knight arrives in the city called lord beric and um and he's this uh all these people are cheering and again it's just i think it's it's worth mentioning because you hear a bit more of Berwick in in the future and he to see his where he starts from here as this um obviously it seems like the world at his feet kind of guy and, and yeah, he, yeah. moving on to the actual armorer's house uh, Ned meets this this guy, this master armor called. I think it's Tobo. Um, I don't know if I
1: pronounced that right. I, I don't know either. But I love the idea yeah. of somebody looking down at Tubo. a baby and going, "Yeah, exactly." I'm going to give him a name that can be yelled from the terraces. Tobo, <laughs> Tobo. <laughs> yeah.
0: But uh, Tobo got a um, he's got an apprentice called uh, Gendry. Who's who's, a, who's this really? He's really gifted um apprentice. He's made this bullhorn um, helmet, and also he happens to look remarkably like Robert, uh, the king. <laughs> and uh, Ned comes, yeah. Ned comes away from this meeting think, thinking, yeah, that's one of Robert's bastards. Um, Why? But why was why was John Aaron so interested in him? Because Robert is this notorious philanderer, and he must have loads of bastards knocking about. Yeah. Again, more questions, Dave.
1: Absolutely, and and you, (laughs) um, I I don't know. Has this been introduced yet in the in the book? But it's not difficult to see. I think like tie together the idea of a recently possibly recently murdered man who's been investigating other heirs of the king mm. um and we've seen that the king's wife has apparently for some time been having it off with her brother yeah uh, you, well you're, you're fitting some pieces I'm, together I'm, here, I'm, aren't you? I'm piece- i mean you know stay with me because i'm you know we're through the looking glass here people <laughs> but, <laughs> um but you know like there's a there's because if 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 this is possible, if this kind of if what seems to be suggested by all of this is possible, then it's the mother and father of all. I didn't even mean to say that. That's funny. Yeah, <laughs> that's just... it is the mother and father of all shocking kind of royal scandals, isn't yeah. it? and um, yeah. and you can only imagine it. You know, given being a very very interesting kind of uh, plot thing. To play. if it's true, but we will see. Yeah.
0: Um, the final chapter we're looking at today is about Caitlin. She is on her way back up to Winterfell with uh, with the you now sidey's Sean uh, Sir Roderick. I don't even you know, know who, who he is anymore. A, yeah, he's had a he's had a rollicking good time down in Kings Landing investigating the houses, <laughs> <oisins. laughs> purely in the interest
1: of, of, of you know
0: serving his lord, right? <laughs> yeah. Um. So. They're on their way back and they're obviously still trying to remain undercover um, because they don't want to draw too much attention to themselves because obviously there's only two of them travelling together and Caitlin would be quite a prize for a uh, so any kind of ransomer to, to yeah, get hold of, they're so true. they're quite cautious. They're yeah. And um, they, 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 they've been staying in holdfast and avoiding inns because they're, they're worried about being seen, mm. but they decide to go into an inn this time. The reason is uh, they're walking down the road, or they're travelling down the road, and one of Caitlin's father's bannermen, so one of the people who she would have seen for years and years and years when she was growing up, called Jason Malister, one of the lords. He happens to be on the road sort of trotting past, and he goes right past her without even noticing who she is. Hmm. And it makes her think, well, you know, I suppose I just look like any old traveller. So she... She decides to have this cover story where she's travelling with her father, good old Sir Roderick, mm. and um, <clears throat> they're making their way back that way. So they go into this inn, and uh, eventually, after various to and fro um Tyrion arrives as well. Oh, and Caitlin, yeah, shit's about and to ca- get ca- ca- real. <laughs> yeah, well, Caitlin tries to keep a low profile and just tries to avoid him. Mm. But uh, unfortunately, after this, there's a. Uh, injection from a, a, a singer called Marillium who uh, calls over Tyrion. just on
1: that? What the frig is yeah. he doing? The G man. For all that he's a <laughs> genius, what on earth is he doing? Naming a bard, a singer of vaguely fantasy tinged songs, Merillion <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> I bet Definitely his songs enough, go on for it? fucking hours as well.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so. Tyrion comes over and says, oh, hello, uh, Lady Caitlin and uh, makes this big introduction. And Caitlin then moves very quickly. And I, just want, I wanted to get your thoughts on what happens here, because she basically stands up, manages to call on the support of a few other bannermen who, of her fathers who happen to be in the inn, mm. and manage to uh, effectively arrest Tyrion and take him into custody on suspicion of um, trying to murder her son. Mm. Um, to is this a rash move on on caitlin's side um, does she need to do it or or is she sort of forced into a corner and she's you know what did you feel about
1: it well it's <clears> absolutely <throat> a rash move i can understand why she wants to do it if she believes that Tyrion was involved in the attack on her son and yeah. you know which she's heard while she's been down south and um i can understand that but it's not like she's got any honor to defend. You know, women in this society mm. don't have the same thing. If it was Ned, he'd be he'd be obliged to. Otherwise, he'd look weak. You know, he needs. Yeah. somebody's attacks his son, he needs to kind of throw down. His wife can well get away with despising the guy and moving on. You know what I mean? Yeah. And kind of doing what she's what what she really needs to do, which is go north, rally the rally the support and the troops and and yeah. Uh, above all, not take on a phenomenal kind of danger. Like, give the Mm. most rich and powerful people in the entire nation who are a heartbeat away from the throne a reason to hate you and attack you. Um, But she doesn't think of any of that. For all that in other yeah. points at other points in the story, she shows herself to be quite a sharp political cookie. Right now, yeah. she's just clearly a mother who's outraged by what she perceives as an attack by her enemies on her child. Yeah. I understand why she does I... what she does, but fucking hell. I mean it just like it just nothing right can nothing good can come from this at all.
0: Yeah. I think yeah, I agree that I think politically it's a, it's a very risky move and probably a little foolish as well because you're overplaying your hand slightly, um, and, and that was my first reaction. But I had a bit of a think about it and I thought, and reread it and I thought, well, I think she does this more out of fear than anything else because she tries to at first she's not like she's she's furious and as soon as he arrives she storms over and tries to yeah, get him arrested. Yeah, like she, agrees, she tries yeah. to keep a low profile. Yeah, and then when he comes over, I I wonder whether it's the fact that he says hello and sort of starts making these grand um and as he is he always does fairly um almost snide remark he's, he's always got a bit of a sort of laughing eyes hasn't he Tyrion yeah and and she, she's i think she's thinking well it's just her and roderick there obviously they've they've already the nerves are already a bit shot because they're trying to get back without anybody seeing who they are and you know she's in a she's in a, a room full of people she doesn't know very well and what's, and it's a guy who she thinks has just tried to kill her son. So what's going to happen to her now? And she immediately just tries to, as quickly as possible, oh. flip, flip it around and, yeah. and take the initiative before anything happens to her. Because I think she is under the impression that the way this is going, she's going to end up either dead
1: or captured herself. That's very true. Uh, you know, uh, that sort of attack is the best form of defence. I hadn't thought of in this, but I just thought she just lost it. Um, yeah. But fair enough, actually. I mean, I think that's, I still think that's, that's like tactically ill-advised, but I can't say yeah. that in that moment, I'd do any better than that. Um, although yeah. it does kind of beg the question, is, is if her response, if she feels so insecure that her first response is to call on everybody in the tavern who works for her father to attack God, she must know that all of these people are already in the tavern. So how insecure can yeah. she truly be? Because all she needs to do is, if if somebody pulls a knife, be like, I am, you know, I am Caitlyn Stark, you know, such and such Tully's daughter, you're all his bannermen, help me out here. And at the end of the day, it's a dwarf and his travelling company, like, how much threat are they going to pose? Yeah. So I do, I still think it's a bit over the top. Um, Yeah. But, uh, but you're right, I (laughs) can definitely see how you'd be like, I need to take control here, right, where are the nearest swords that I can get to me, sort of. yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and that that sort of cliffhanger is where we leave it with Tyrion oh. being taken. And, and oh, another thinking,
1: another cliffhanger.
0: Yeah, and we're thinking um, if you if you've got a, any kind of perception of broader political consequence here, you're thinking this is a this is a big moment because it's going to set most things in motion here, which are going to be very hard to stop because it 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 really it's the first time that overtly the Starks have have been aggressive towards the Lannisters, or, to be honest, from the surface, overtly the Lannisters have been aggressive for the Starks. This is the first sort of opening shot of a, of a real conflict now, it seems.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and I, I remember, um, again, when, when, you, when we were watching the first series, and you were yeah. like, you've got to watch this. Um, it was the <laughs> end of this episode, I remember you saying, yeah, pretty much from now, it's pedal to the metal. And there's been a lot of setup, <laughs> but from now, shit's got real. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah. And, uh, oh, oh, it's brilliant. I'm really looking forward to doing the next few bits because they are fantastic. Stories. Yeah,
0: yeah. If you're reading along with us, then get ready or well, buckle up because this is where it goes. If you think it's been, if you think it's been sort of good so far, it's just about to ramp up another notch. Yeah. Um. If if you if you are reading along, the next part we're going to do obviously we start from the the next chapter is i think it's about sansa page 285 if you've got the paperback and it starts sansa Road to the hans tournament i'm going to read as far as page 372 so it's a big chunk of the book and um, it's uh, the, the chapter to stop at is when you get to one about daenerys and it begins the the horse gates of vastothrak uh, so it's quite a lot to read of, but I mean it's Christmas now, so you got some time. Just, just push the family and the kids to another room, sit down with uh with your favourite book and uh, prepare for your favourite podcast.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, who needs who needs family at Christmas time when you've got Charlotte and oil? <laughs> exactly, when you've got feuding families in, oh, Gail, France. Just in, in that impeccable chain mail. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well
0: un- until next time. Um Very Merry Christmas. Absolutely. uh, And we'll see you next time. Merry Christmas. Happy reading.